Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. we got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about how to heal, work with anxious attachment style. That is because I'm seeing more and more of that coming through my clinical doors, more and more questions about it in my DMs, and it tends to be one of the more prevalent relational styles. Uh, We've talked on the show about attachment theory, and you're going to hear more and more about it in culture, pop psychology. There's lots of IG pages centered in it. And for those not familiar with that word, it tends to be those people that struggle with a lot of emotional regulation. They tend to be perceived as clingy and needy, um, always fearing abandonment, um, always worried or anxious when they haven't been connected with or heard from their partner. And um, that's why we call it anxious attachment. Their relational style is one of anxiety. They never seem like they feel safe. They never seem like they feel confident. Um, nothing ever seems to be enough. And remember, this isn't this isn't a mental health illness or disorder. It's the outcome of all the different kinds of relationships that this person has been a part of. Because remember, in our early relational life, that's when these things get set in place. But there's still a flexibility to them. These are not rigid enduring, everlasting, never changing or changeable things. In fact, we talk about earned secure attachment because secure attachment would be the people that are very confident, they're very chill, they make their needs known, they can roll with the punches. That's what we're looking for. That's the kind of partner you ideally want. And that's also the kind of partner you ideally want to try to be. And that can happen if you do the work. But based on early relational experiences, this anxious uh, attachment style either gets healed and resolved through being around more present, consistent, reliable people, and you internalize that and you realize my needs will get met, I can trust people, or the opposite. You continually are with partners that reinforce the idea that you can't rely on people, that people aren't consistent, that people aren't there for you, and that anxiety maintains itself. So again, this isn't something to shame or pathologize yourself or someone else with. It's the outcome of all the different relationships you've been a part of. So in a way, it's out of your control, but what is in your control is identifying if you are this person or if your partner is and trying to find ways to soothe and heal. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So this shows for those that are or are dating or are you know in a relationship with someone who seems clingy, needy, never happy, always fearing abandonment, always anxious. 
And we're going to kind of round it out and talk about that. And, uh, you know, as always, even if this isn't you when you're not dating someone like that, um, there's still a lot of skill building you can learn. Cause like I say all the time, we can learn a lot about our relational style from others. There's tips and tricks to take. Uh, cause what we are really talking about at the end of the day is how to have healthy relationships, how to be more secure. Um, so we're going to be talking about that. The DMs always wide open. Love to hear from you. Any questions you got, topics you want to hit, something you want us to circle back to, put that in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and uh, past episodes of the show over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, re-listen, post, or share. Lots of good stuff because that's about how you do the work. Remember, you can't just go to a therapy session once a week, uh, read a book or listen to the show and then turn it off, put the book down or go back after therapy and think that that was it. It's kind of like, again, let me use a gym example. Um, you can't read a book on working out and then close it and be like, done. It's like, no, you have to actually go to the gym or go into the other room and apply these things and do these exercises. Uh, and that's what this show is about. How do you go out and work with these things? That's why I say to my clients, 10%, 20% of the work is in therapy, but 80% is you going out and practicing because the quality of your life is tied to the quality of your practice. So if you're like, I don't like the way my life is going, I don't like the way I, 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 I am in the world or in relationships, well, then you're not practicing, you're not doing the work. Um, cause all can be changed and healed to an extent, at least if you're focused on what the work is and you're applying it. So that's what tonight's show is about. Um, and again, remember, as always, I'll say this over and over, we're looking at ourselves first and we want to bring a softness and a compassion to all these topics, mental health labels and diagnoses, which this is not, this is a relational style that's ingrained in us as a result of our relationships, but nonetheless, that and, and, and things that are true mental health disorders, we, we tend to shame people with them. Like, oh, well, you're a narcissist or you're depressive. Um, no one wakes up and makes those decisions. Those are the outcome of a lot of traumas and events in our lives. We're, we're the victim of the things that are diagnosable. So if someone's walking through the world with some mental health diagnosis, that was put upon you. You were forced into that. No one chooses that. But yes, unfortunately, as an adult, our work is to resolve that and to not push that forward. You know, we, we, we make it stop here. So, you know, we're all in this together, essentially, as I always try to remind people. So coming up next, we're going to be breaking this down. Like I said, if this doesn't apply directly to you, there's still so much we can learn in this because as I say, also all the time, we're all on these scales to some extent. It's never, are you a narcissist? It's how narcissistic are you? It's not, are you borderline? It's how borderline are you? Some people, it's little moments in certain contexts with certain people. And for others, it's bigger. We're all going to be depressed at times and all anxious. Some people, it's acute. Some people, it's chronic. Some people, it's a personality style. Others, it's contextual, relational, situational. But we all are these things. No one is all one thing only. And that's why the whole those labels lightly, even sexual orientation labels. Very few people are 100% hetero or 100% gay. If you watch porn that has both genders in it, well, you got both genders in your sexuality to some extent. You know what I mean? That's a little fluid, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So stick around. We're coming back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right y'all we are back and we're talking about anxious attachment style also known sadly and pathologically because you know again no one is at fault for their relational style. That is something that we have experienced, we um, have reinforced. It's not a choice we make, but tonight we're learning about how to resolve that and move beyond that and heal that. But you know, an anxious attachment style, the way it is presented or the way it looks or the way it's actualized relationally is clingy, anxious, never feeling soothed, always wanting to know where your partner is or what they're up to, um, fearing abandonment, fearing loss. Well, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> How does that often start with your caregivers? It doesn't mean they didn't love you. It's not about whether they cared or loved you. Their attachment style is often what's passed on. So if you have an anxious attachment style, well, it's very possible that your parents might have as well, because that's what we're focusing on exclusively tonight. Not the secure people and not the avoidant people, but the anxious people. Um, you most likely had a primary caregiver who was distracted, inconsistent, still might've loved you, Still might have been, you know, around, but they were distracted, inconsistent, uh, maybe sometimes was withdrawn. Um, they themselves were often probably really bad at regulating their emotions. Um, they might have also discouraged independence and really trained you to be dependent and very sensitive to the needs and emotions of your caregiver. Um, and all of that sets you up to really not feel secure and as though people are there. Because again, imagine, if your caregiver is inconsistent and distracted, you are then not learning that you can trust others to be there when you need them. Because that's really what it's about, safety and presence and availability. That's what attachment is. Is my partner, is my caregiver, are they consistent, are they available, are they reliable? And again, if your early environment is one where they were inconsistent, not accessible all the time, not reliable, not dependent, well then you internalize this idea that 
I can't count on others. Because remember, as a child, we need primary caregivers, but as adults, we also need caregivers. Those are our partners in a primary secure relationship. We never outgrow the need or dependence on others. The health, mental health is not about individualism or independence. Mental health is about interdependence, having those around us that we can count on, that we can borrow functioning from. The work is about co-regulation, having other people we can turn to and count on to be there when we need them. We, ha we have that need as children. We also have that need as adults. We have erroneously and toxically created this idea that as an adult, you should be moving towards not needing others. Oh my God, not only is that not true, it is not possible, it's also not healthy. Healthy relationships are about connecting, interdependence. As I've said on the show over and over, we are separated by skin only. In healthy primary relationships, our brains and nervous systems wire. We do get infected by the feelings of our primary partners. We pass it back and forth. And that's why co-regulation can work. Because if you can make me anxious, you can also make me not anxious. If I can be infected with your anxiety, I can also be infected with you being anchored and confident and soothing me. And so... Anxious people do best when they're around others. Um, and much like the opposite of an avoidant, where when they're overwhelmed or stressed, they run, they lean out, they shut down, they turn to themselves. An anxious person, anxiously attached person, when stressed will actually seek out their primary partner or others. They will run towards people and they will try to get closer. So again, if you're really tracking this because you're maybe the partner of someone, you'll notice that. You'll say, wow, my, my partner seems to be anxiously attached based on everything I'm hearing so far. And yeah, when they're stressed or overwhelmed, they try to get close to me, they come to me, they run to me, they try to seek me out. And if you're secure, you stand there and accept that and you're there for them. If you're avoidant, you run and you lean out because you're overwhelmed. And we're working on everyone trying to be secure. And if someone's anxious, they really need a secure partner. Um, but an anxiously attached person feels like they can't manage things on their own or alone. And we're going to get deeper into that and it gets a little more academic and it gets a little more intellectual. So I'll try to kind of hit it on both levels because a couple people DM'd me asking me to talk more about this, which is why I'm focusing on it exclusively because I want y'all to get your needs met. Um, but again, anxious people prefer closeness and proximity. Uh, in theory, if they could just text you all day long, every day throughout the day, nonstop, they'd be very happy. An avoidant person wants to put their phone down for hours and hours and not be contacted. A secure person is available sometimes, but they're happily focused at other times on other things. They're not worried if they haven't heard from you. They know that you'll connect when you connect. But an anxious person is like, oh my God, it's already been three hours. I haven't heard from them. That's how you know you're anxiously attached. A secure person has no idea how long it's been since they've talked to you because they know that you're going to be there when, you, when they need you. They're not worried. They don't worry if it's been an hour or six hours. They're like, everything's cool. We'll talk when we talk. They're secure. An avoidant person would be be like, uh, I want a day to go by and not hear from you. It's overwhelming when you reach out too much, right? And so ideally an anxious person is with someone who's secure because it can soothe them. An anxious person also sometimes does really good with another anxious person because they both like a lot of closeness, a lot of proximity, a lot of connection. Um, I'm not anxious, but I do like a lot of closeness and intimacy. So I jokingly have said on the show, I date backpack style. I want to throw you my backpack and take you with me everywhere. Not out of anxiety or fear, but out of just really enjoying closeness. So that there's a separation in that. You know, an anxious person, it's that anxiety. They're, they're fearful, and that's why they want closeness. They don't do well without versus someone who's just like, I enjoy your company, and so the more the better. A very big distinction. Um, anxious people, uh, and this is a big word, but 
they're not good at regulating themselves. And that's why they're always reaching out to a friend if their partner hasn't been consistent or present or things aren't going well. And they're the friend that's always like, oh my God, call me immediately. Emergency, call me immediately. And you're like, oh my God, what? what's going on? And they're like, it's been four hours and I haven't heard from my boyfriend. And you're like, oh God, that's because you have an anxious friend. Where a secure person wouldn't think anything of it. Or they'd reach out and be like, yo, that's annoying, right? And then you'd laugh and move on and talk about something else. That's that distinction. But again, no one should have shame about their attachment style. If you're the anxious person, you shouldn't have shame about it. You should say to yourself, this is the result of the relationships I've been in. This is what I'm trying to soothe and overcome, but I don't need to feel bad about it because we often weaponize these labels and we use them against people. Um, all right, coming up next, we're gonna keep talking about this and then we'll be doing some DMs. So uh, you know the drill, if you got some DMs, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. Maybe go find the show from a couple weeks ago where I talked about all the attachment styles. It'll be labeled. Stick around though, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Channel Q and Odyssey will be right back. All right, y'all, we are back talking about anxious attachment style. That's the people that see themselves or maybe been told by others that they're clingy, they're needy. Look, y'all, you can't help it. That's based on all the relationships you've been in. You've been around a lot of people that you couldn't trust, couldn't rely on. They're inconsistent. They're not accessible. That sets us up to not believe that uh, people will be there for us. And healthy people, hear that said, healthy people, when they're in a time of crisis or stress, will often reach out to others. That's appropriate. I don't want people to learn to deal with it all on their own. Yes, there's room for self-regulation, but that's also tied to and part of co-regulation, where if we can access the care and support of others, we do. Um, and so it's understandable that if you feel like your primary partner isn't there, much like a child with their parent, because we never outgrow the need for a primary partner. Because again, remember, in secure, healthy relationships, we know that that person's there for us if we need them. It's called a uh, safe haven. We can go to them when we need them. But then we also talk about a secure base, which means our partner's also someone who is there for us and builds us up and gives us confidence and encouragement to go out into the world. And we're better off when we're out in the world because we know that there's someone back there who's got our back and they'll be there when we need them. Them. And so we feel safe going off. And that's what we want to instill in our child. You know, that clingy child who's really hard to get them to go off to school without us, they might have a little bit of an anxious attachment style. They have to trust that, like, I'm not going anywhere. Even though you can't see me, object constancy, co I can't say the word, object constancy, I can't say the word. Um, they know that you're still there, even though I can't physically see you. That's part of the work. You know, I might not have gotten a text from my partner. You might not have seen them today, but like, you know that they're still there. You can still hold on to them symbolically. Children learn to do that. Sometimes they don't and they're very anxious and they throw tantrums and they grab you and they can't let go of you and they get to school. But the secure ones are like, all right, you know, I know you're still there even though I can't see you and I know you'll be there when I get home. But that's on the parent to actually have shown them that. But if you're a very unreliable, distracted, inconsistent parent, well then understandably your child doesn't trust that and will feel anxious when you drop them off at school. Um, I'm not blaming parents. I'm just saying we perpetuate the, the style we have. And that's why we all got to resolve our stuff so we don't push that onto our children. We can be better though. If we can understand what our style is and then we can do the work. We don't want to be avoidant. We don't want to be anxious. We want to be secure, which is about being consistent, reliable, available, and responsive. That's all we need. We need to know that if I need you, you're there. Bam, that's all it's about. Reassurance, you know, but that's shown. It's experiential. So for the people that are anxious, they're not good at regulating their own nervous systems. Why? Because they never had a caregiver who helped them learn how to do that by being present and co-regulating, which is why I go on and on and on about if you are a parent or an adult and a child's having a meltdown, the worst thing you can do is yell at them or send them up to their room to play a video game or say, go eat a cookie or anything that basically communicates, I'm not here to be in it with you. 
You want to communicate to your child. If you're upset, an adult like myself is there for you. You can count on us. And the adult would say something like, oh my God, what's going on? You look so frustrated. I know that's very frustrating that you're not able to have dessert before you eat dinner, but don't worry. We're going to eat and then we'll have that. I know frustration's really hard. I get frustrated too. Let's take a few deep breaths. Give me a hug. That is what we're trying to do more of. And that trains them to believe people are there for me. They're accessible. They're consistent. They're available. They're responsive. And that's why parents that are dealing with drug and alcohol issues, miserable in their marriage, that helps nobody. Please get a divorce or get sober so you can be present and available and responsive. Otherwise, you're raising kids that are avoidant or anxious, and then they spread that forward. Okay. So our nervous systems aren't able to be regulated if you're anxious. You're always depending on something outside of you. And that's why when you're feeling overwhelmed or scared, you got to get on the phone with a friend or go see someone. But at some point you have to say, I have to learn how to do some of this on my own. We'll get there later in the show. Right now we're just kind of explaining this relational style. Um, and then shockingly, sometimes these anxious people, um, they will defensively, when they feel as though they've been abandoned, instead of actually solving that by trying to connect and reach out, they push away. And you've done that. Think about it. You've said, I haven't heard from them for a few hours. You're upset. I can't believe it. They don't care about me. Oh my God, maybe I'll never hear from them again. And then they finally text. And what do you do? You're like, I'm mad. Forget it. I'm going to make them feel what I felt. I'm going to ignore them or give them a short response. And what you're doing is you're creating the opposite of what you want. There they finally are. And instead of healing and soothing and connecting, you push further away. And guess what happens? You feel worse off. It doesn't actually solve anything. And maybe you create, da- create damage to the relationship. See how that happens? Because we're, we're, we're so afraid of just being who we are and asking for what we need and saying, wow, it was a really hard day. You know, it would have meant a lot to have heard from you sooner, but I'm glad to hear from you now. Do you want to come over for dinner? That's what that should sound like. Have no shame in the fact that you want more closeness or consistency. Look, I told you all on the show a long time ago, I said that in my last relationship. I said, hey, I'd love to hear from you more. Can we talk every day? I, it feels better to me. I also said, can we also get on FaceTime? It'd feel better if I could see you. And we did. I asked for my needs. And if my partner was like, nah, I would have been like, we're probably not a match then because I need and value and want a lot more closeness and intimacy than you do. And I would have moved on and found someone else because we're trying to find people that are secure, meaning they're comfortable in intimacy and closeness. All right. Going to take a little moment away. And then when we come back, we're going to be doing some DMs. So if you've got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Topics, questions, things you want us to circle back to, drop deeper into. That's why tonight's show is the topic it is. Someone said, yo, anxious attachment. A few more people did as well. They're like, can you hit it harder? And I was like, I'll give you a whole show on it. People, y'all get what you need. I want people to get their needs met. So if you've got a topic, bam, drop it in there. Stick around, though. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back so y'all don't go anywhere. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my boyfriend and I are cishet, which means cis-hetero, have known each other for about a decade. Oh, that's beautiful. We've been exclusively dating for a year. We casually dated, hooked up for years prior. However, a few years ago, I found out he had a girlfriend who had been living with him for years and thought he was monogamous. I was horrified to be the other woman, cut contact with him for about a year. We eventually reconciled, have both done a lot of healing and growth and are happily coupled and big fans of your work. Ah, thank you. He's naturally non-monogamous and I'm okay with it. 
but I'm demisexual, demisexual, and not interested in it myself. Demisexual, for those that aren't familiar, is someone whose sexuality or arousal tends to come online, their sexual desire, after having maybe formed a bond or a relationship or getting familiar with them. It kind of grows, where for some people it's spontaneous from the door. Others, it's more phrasexual, which means the more intimate and familiar and close they get, it actually tapers off versus growing. And those are people that do best in open, non-monogamous styles, where someone like this individual who's more demisexual really thrives sexually within commitment and uh, getting to know someone. Um, anyway, so he's naturally non-monogamous. You're okay with it. You're demisexual, not interested in yourself. Cool. I love when everyone understands who they are, what their needs are. And what's really important for us to be very transparent about what our sex, how our sexuality operates so as to make sure that you know our partners don't take it personal. They understand what they're getting involved in. We can have confidence, all that stuff. So the two of you suddenly give really good communication. I love that. He's been accused by others of being a sex addict for his past behavior. I'm sorry that, 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 you know, made up mythic label. Here's an example of how it gets applied. Oh, that person is non-monogamous or struggles with monogamy. They must be addicted to sex. Oh dear God, knock it off. Um, okay. So he's been accused toxically as being a sex addict. I'm sorry to hear that his friends are made nervous by his sex life. Um, and you're, uh, so wait, he's been accused by others being sex addicts for his past behavior. And your writing in that regard has shifted my mindset and helped me feel or helped him let feel less shame. Awesome. Awesome. My question is, do you have advice for how to introduce non-monogamy into a relationship when only one partner is interested in it? I have an open mind, but I struggle with possessiveness, insecurity, and I want to evolve past that. Oof, there's a lot in there. I appreciate your desire to push on your edges, to grow, change, evolve. Um, every, I have my, my, my answers are going to be a little annoying. Um, everyone's going to need something different. So I would say you first need to sit down and figure out where your anxieties and insecurities come from to try to figure out how to resolve them. Um, also don't think that if we are made to feel insecure or jealous, that means whatever we're doing is wrong or our partner's done something wrong or our relational style is wrong. You know, you might be one of those people who will consistently have to battle a little jealousy or insecurity when in a non-monogamous relationship. But I think it's really about you requesting maybe some of the reassurance you need, um, getting on the same page as to what kind of a non-monogamy would be most meaningful for you, um, not feeling anxious about vocalizing jealousy if and when it occurs. Um, here's the thing. There's a lot of beautiful work and books out there on non-monogamy and they walk you through all the different kinds of styles and structures and it can get a little complicated. Um, cause again, this is some people's life's work where they're breaking down the different styles, configurations. So basically your question was, do you have advice for how to introduce it? I would say number one, talk about what your expectations are. Talk about what you think your, your limits and boundaries are. Test it knowing that what doesn't work can always be changed and updated. And it's, it's about growing into it. It's also about acknowledging that what works at one point might not work at another point. So it's really about, again, looking at what you think you need, uh, testing it as you go, really having great open communication to talk about what you need to change. Um, and I also think it's really great to work with a therapist who's very well-versed in ethical non-monogamy, polyamory, and all of that, so they can help problem solve. So that's kind of my annoying answer. I, my best advice is to start with a couples therapist who's trained in this, and they can help you figure out what you need, how to work with your jealousy, how to not shame it. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So that's my advice, and I luckily don't give that often. Where I'm like, just go to therapy. But I'd also say pick up some of those books because there's really no starting point that I think is great for everyone. 
But I think you've already done that first step, which is open communication around it. So I know my answer is kind of a non-answer, but there's just nothing really that global that I think works for everyone. So like I said, look at some of the books, see what works for you, what doesn't, and, and work with a really great therapist on it. Because I think that's where we can learn about ourselves through that process and really um, enhance our relationship around it. You know. All right, y'all, we'll be back. So uh, stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we're back talking about anxious attachment style. What is that? Well, that's the people that are anxious, clingy, nervous, never feeling soothed. When they're overwhelmed, they got to get someone else on the phone. They don't like time and space going by without seeing or hearing from their partner. They like a lot of proximity. Um, This is someone, and this is, again, I want to stop identify the people we're with or ourselves. This is someone also who makes excessive attempts to reconnect. They're constantly texting back and back and back and back and back and back back and forth. It's just them though. Um, Also, an anxious person is going to keep score. They track. If they said, if a friend happened to reach out and say, hey, how long has it been since you heard from, you know, the person you're dating or whoever, they could tell you. They can tell you exactly when they last spoke because they'll literally say something. It's been three hours. It's been five hours. They're paying attention. An anxiously attached person is also the one who's on their IG seeing what they're liking, who they're talking to. They're the person that would say, oh, I saw that they were online. So they don't have the time to text me back, but they have the time to be on their Instagram. That's an anxiously attached person because a secure person, which is what we're working towards, wouldn't think in those terms and wouldn't be tracking anything because they're confident. They trust that we'll talk when we talk. And there's no anxiety if they haven't spoken for a while because they believe that people are consistent and reliable. And they can tolerate time going by because they don't immediately imagine the worst. They don't fear abandonment. Anxiously attached people are always fearing abandonment. And everything's through the lens of have I been abandoned? Friends as well. I keep making it more romantic, but that's also social. So this might apply to social relationships. But they're tracking everything. Secure people, like... like I'm always shocked by that personally. I understand it clinically. I empathize with it, with it cl- clinically, but my own personal experience is I, I could never tell you when I last texted someone I'm dating. And if I haven't heard from them in a while, I assume the best. I think they're busy. I assume the best. They maybe met up with a friend. They told me they'd, that they'd be home from the bar or restaurant at nine, and now I'm looking at my watch and it's 11. I again assume the best. They're having a lot of fun, so it ran late. Or, wow, they must have gotten tired and maybe fell asleep. We'll talk tomorrow. That's what a secure person thinks. But some people are anxious because they've been in repeated relationships where they the, their, their primary partner or their friend wasn't reliable, and it was always a bad thing. And so they naturally been trained to assume that. So if you're dating someone who's anxious, try to give more reassurance, try to give, you know, let them know where you are and what you're up to, to an appropriate level. But if you're anxious, you also have to do the work as well. You can't make your partner responsible for always soothing you. You have to elevate your level of functioning and your level of confidence and security. And hear what I said, you have to try to practice assuming the positive. You can't always go to a negative interpretation. You have to say things like, Maybe they're having a fun time and that's why they're running late. That's great. I want them to have fun. Or maybe they're just really occupied at work. Great. That's what they should be doing when they're at work. We'll talk when we talk. Try to move towards a more secure, confident style. So I want to I wanna round this out a little bit more and then I'm going to get into really what you need to be working on because that's really the most important takeaway is not what does it look like and how did we get here, which is what I've been covering and talking about thus far. And I bring that in so that we have empathy for ourselves and our partners, if that's them. But remember, if you're anxious or you're dating someone or married to someone anxious or friends with someone anxious, the best way you can help them is by 
keeping as close as you can, keeping up with them and reassuring them. And that usually is very soothing. Hey, I'm running late. I'm going to be about two hours late. Great. That helped them understand what was happening so they didn't have to guess or assume the worst. Um, checking in throughout the day, thinking about you, whatever it is, just be reassuring, be as consistent as you can and stay as close as you can. It's simple, right? It seems that way. And if you're secure, you wouldn't mind offering that. But anxious people, you can't, again, rely upon them to change their behavior to always meet your needs. Because anxiously attached people, I say this lovingly, tend to be a little self-obsessed and self-centered. And they think that their pain is the only pain. And they think that their pain matters more than whatever else is going on in someone's day. And they think about themselves only. And instead of it being about, hey, I was bummed out I didn't hear from you. How was your day? What was going on for you? Which would be the non-self-centered way. They automatically are like, I haven't heard from you. I'm upset. I'm in pain. My feelings matter. And there's no consideration for the other person, what's going on in their day, what might be happening for them, et cetera, et cetera. It's very self-obsessed because a healthy person would say, hey, great to hear from you. How's your day been? What are you up to? And they would care about the other person's need. And if the other person's like, I had a bad day, they would want to hear about that as well. And it wouldn't just be about, I'm upset because I haven't heard from you. That's self-obsessed. That's self-centered. You have to soften that. You have to also check in on your partner, what's going on with them. It's not just about you. But anxious, clingy, needy, attached people tend to only make it about them and only want it to be about them being made to feel better. But you, it's not, that's not your partner's job to make you feel better. If they're willing to help, cool, but you have to start by soothing yourself first. And in the next segment, we're going to start talking about how to do that. But I want to kind of build this in and round this out. So coming up next, we're going to talk about what is your work if you're an anxiously attached person because it really does fall on you to heal yourself. We can't always expect others to put our needs first and to work on healing us. I know how that is as, as a therapist and also a friend. Sometimes I have to say to my anxious friends or clients, our session has to end. Go out in the world and figure it out and struggle so you can come up with and next week we'll assess. Or to my friend, I also had a hard day I might need to say to them. I'm also tired after a long day. I can't prioritize your pain and your struggle over what's going on with me. I had a hard day or I'm tired or something's going on with me and we'll have to talk tomorrow. Because what happens is the other person can feel burnout because they're always having to prioritize the anxious person. We'll talk more about it. Stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we're back. Talking about anxious attachment style. That's people that tend to be clingy, needy, not shaming it. It's not pathological, it's just a different way of relating and that's the result of all the different relationships you've been in. You've been trained to believe people aren't reliable or accessible or consistent. And so you internalize that. You have an internal working model that's been created based on all your experience that tells you, I do get abandoned. I can't count on people. They aren't reliable. And your nervous system gets very dysregulated uh, when when you're not in proximity or connected to your primary partner. So how do we work with that? Well, there's a lot of things you have to think about and consider. The first one is you do have to learn how to self-regulate. Every time you are upset or frustrated or disappointment, you can't always immediately think, my partner needs to get on the phone right away or come right over and make me feel better. You have to learn how to be uncomfortable. I want to just call that out. You have to learn how to tolerate discomfort. I don't want to imply that when the minute you're uncomfortable, you need to reach out to someone to solve it. Sometimes you are just made uncomfortable and that's okay because no relationship is perfect. And if every time you're upset about something, you need immediate resolve, then you actually are seeking perfection. We have to just sometimes let things be that are disappointing or frustrating and not even bring it up. That's part of being in a healthy relationship. You can't make an issue of everything that's exhausting and it burns people out. 
And it implies that your partner's job is to make sure you're always happy. And that's not true. Your partner's job is to live their life in, in, in conjunction with yours, both witnessing the world together and both really taking care of yourself so you can co-regulate and be there for each other when needed. But we have to depend on our partners to also take care of themselves. So you do have to learn how to be uncomfortable sometimes. You have to learn to, how to, without reaching out to anyone, including your partner, you have to learn how to just be like, I'm disappointed or frustrated with what happened and that's okay. And nothing needs to be done about it. I don't need to punish them. I don't need to be mad. My whole day isn't ruined. I have to allow that and still go live my life for the day. It's the first thing I want to just acknowledge. And that's actually something I want every human being to hear. We have to sometimes just let some things be. Having said that, you do have to learn, if you're anxiously attached, how to soothe yourself when your partner isn't reaching out as much as you want, or you haven't heard from them, or they had to cancel plans, and you're imagining abandonment, and you're really feeling trouble, you're having trouble feeling confident or cared for in your relationship. You have to be, you have to be able to bring yourself back down to zero. So I know it's a very vague concept. We'll talk more about how to do that, but I want you to hear that. You can't always go to your partner to make you feel better. You do have to learn how to self-regulate, how to do it on your own all by yourself. I know your primary caregivers haven't been there to train you how to do that because they were too dysregulated themselves. And when you were throwing a fit, they started throwing a fit. That's the kind of parent who, when you're dysregulated, so are they, and they want you to calm down, but you're looking at them and they're not calm and able to do it. No shocker. Um, you have to learn how to be more independent. So that's what I want the anxious person to say. How can I learn to be more independent? How can I learn to be on my own for longer and not always be connected to my partner? How can I, can I learn to turn my phone off for a few hours? Can I learn to leave my phone at home? Can I learn to go do things by myself? If something comes up that's upsetting, can I learn how to calm myself down without the need of someone else? That is the work. Yes, you do need some more independence. So ask yourself, how can I practice independence? We have to practice these things. We don't wait until it happens. We find moments to practice and get familiar with this. We can't overly rely on others to regulate us when we're upset. That is the work of someone who's anxious. Also, because anxious people are very self-obsessed and when they're uncomfortable or upset, that's all that matters. You have to start working on being less self-obsessive by drum roll, being more empathetic towards others. And before you call your best friend to make you feel better, you have to say, what might be going on in their day? Is this something that they have the bandwidth for or that they can prioritize? And if you're thinking, well, they have a long day on, on Mondays and it's a Monday when you're upset, you don't think that your pain means more. And maybe you say, let me call someone else or let me work on this on my own. That's part of not being so self-obsessed. Also, if you're upset about something saying, what's going on in my husband's day? Maybe now isn't the time to reach out because I don't think I hear from him enough because he's having a busy Friday and I have to chill out and never bring it up or bring it up later. So there's two pieces in that, not always needing to go to them with something and also cranking down the intensity. And we'll talk about that later. But you do have to back that off. It can't always be about going to someone because these anxious people are constantly needing a lot of reassurance and I want us to be confident to ask for some of it sometimes, but it can't always be dependent on the other to give it to us. We have to be able to give it to ourselves sometimes. So it's, it's both. It's a dialectic where on one hand, I want you to say, hey, getting reassurance helps. And I want you to also ask for it in the moments when you need it. In a tough moment, I want you to say something like, wow, that was really hard to hear. It would help me if you could give me a little reassurance right now. I want us to be in healthy relationships where we can ask for what we need. And then when they reassure us, we say thank you and we let it impact us. 
But then I want us to practice sometimes not needing it and reassuring ourselves and saying, it's okay if I didn't hear from them today. It's okay if they, if they took longer than I wanted. I'm disappointed and frustrated, but that doesn't mean they did something wrong or bad. There's a difference and you have to suss that out. Did something bad or wrong actually happen or am I just not happy with how things went? Because it's okay if I'm sometimes unhappy with how things went. My partner's job is not to always make me happy. They're allowed to do things their way too. So it falls under letting some things go. It falls under categorizing it as just a disappointment and cranking down the intensity. And it also is categorized as I have to be a little more independent and sometimes just handle the problem by myself for myself. I can't make every issue their issue. But then there's this other really interesting syndrome that's born out of it where some clingy, anxiously attached people, they're always waiting and and they always seem as though they need permission or the other person has to do something first for them to make something happen. For instance, they might say, wow, we haven't gone on a date in a while. And um, I wonder why, why they haven't asked me out. And you're like, why haven't you asked them out? And you notice that they're almost always waiting. They'll be like, wow, they didn't text me yet today. And you're like, well, why don't you text them? Again, they're always waiting. They don't feel confident in their natural needs. They're not assertive. There's some assertiveness needed. All right, we're gonna come back and keep talking about this. How to uh, really resolve and heal our anxious attachment styles. There's work in this for all of us. Stick around though, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Oh, Rachel, we're back. And we're finishing up our discussion about anxious attachment, which again, really stresses out them, stresses out us. It's someone who's needy and clingy. This is not their fault. This is a result of repeated relational experiences where they can't trust people. They're not safe. People aren't reliable or consistent. So if you're the partner or friend of this person, you want to help work through that, heal that. But if you're the person yourself, the work is mainly on you. And you gotta get better about this stuff. You gotta learn how to turn to yourself sometimes. You have to work on more independence. You have to learn how to let some stuff go. Not everything that's upsetting to you can be made into an issue. You have to learn how to let stuff go. So that's that's a life's work, if nothing else. So I wanna just kinda of call that out. Um, you can't always get reassurance from those around you. You know, We have to turn to ourselves. That's the work of someone anxious. But I was talking before the break about this interesting waiting piece where Often, an anxiously attached person doesn't feel confident just initiating or asserting what they want. And so if you're the friend or partner of that, it'll be something like they'll say, I haven't heard from them all day. And you'll be like, why didn't you reach out? And they'll be like, I don't know. And they'll be like, oh, we haven't gone on a date in a while. And you'll be like, did you plan one? And they'll be like, well, no. They're always waiting. It's an interesting piece of this where you have to work on assertion, saying what you want, creating the kind of relationship you want versus victimizing yourself by feeling as though you're on the receiving end and being passive. If you want to date this weekend, ask them out. If you want to talk to them more, call or text more. Create it. Do it. Step into it. Don't wait. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care if you're a man or woman or non-binary or whatever it is. If you want to date on Friday night, say, yo, what are you doing Friday night? Let's go out. We're, we're, we're working on assertion. That's how we get out of this anxious waiting attachment style piece because I see it all the time. Um, we talked about not making everything about you. Um, also this sense of right-sizing things. I'm gonna talk more about that on the show, but we tend to just crank everything up. We have to stop and say, on a scale of zero to 10, what level of response is warranted based on what happened? Oh, they didn't text me right back? Okay, that's like a two or three. That's called annoying, chill. 
or they said they're going to call me by nine, but they fell asleep and called the next day. Okay, breathe. Everything's okay. Nothing bad happened. Literally nothing bad happened. It's not about right or wrong. Anxious people get into black and white thinking. There's right and there's wrong. And what you did is wrong because I'm upset. And if I'm upset, you're wrong. No, you have to get more comfortable with nuance. They fell asleep. That is, and again, that's annoying. That's a two or a three. Nothing bad happened. There's no malintent. No one was harmed. You were uncomfortable and that's okay. It's okay for you to be uncomfortable sometimes. So you have to right size things. Again, saying based on what happened, what's an appropriate response? And then you have to try to align your feeling with that. Um, you have to get comfortable with some distance. You have to get comfortable with some silence. Um, you have to get comfortable and familiar with not being as close and connected as maybe you want. Um, and there's all, there's another, this is probably the most prominent piece is everything feels like loss or abandonment to someone who's anxious and they perceive everything through the lens of, was that a loss or an abandonment? I didn't, they didn't text me and they said they would, I feel abandoned and rejected. You know, um, they weren't as flirty as I thought they should be. I feel abandoned or rejected. And it's like their job isn't to always center you and what you need and what you want and to focus on that. They're living their life as well and they should be thinking about themselves too. So you have to back off of some of that. You have to get some of your needs met yourself. You have to allow some disappointment and frustrations and not even make an issue of it or bring it up. But you soothe that and you allow that. I tell my clients that are in early, early dating to date as many people as possible. What? Yeah. If you're a clingy, anxious person, date multiple people until, because remember, we live in a culture where people expect you to just relationship right away. No, no, no. We should date people for months, multiple people, to see if we have a connection enough with any of those people we're dating to decide to have a relationship. But we don't enter a relationship from the door at the first person we connect with. We date them for a while. And while we're dating them, we should be dating other people as well. And we're dating multiple people and we're seeing if any of them are compatible enough or enough chemistry to relationship with them. And for anxious people, you really need to be dating multiple people so that you can't overly focus or obsess about one person. So you should be dating two or three people. So you have a date with one on Tuesday, a date with another on Thursday, a date with another on Friday. You've lessened your grip on all of them because there's multiple people texting each of them, learning how to breathe, learning how to not overdepend on any of them too much because anxious people, the minute they like someone, they laser focus, they go all in, they feel threatened by everything, they want them to be theirs and they try to relationship and have all these expectations too quickly. And having multiple people in your life backs you off of that and slows that down. It's like little speed bumps that you'll see on a street or a neighborhood. It's trying to slow your roll a little bit because that's what an anxious person needs to do. Slow down a little bit. Allow some of them speed bumps, you know? It's important work and we all have pieces of this. That's why this topic is literally for everyone. But some people are definitely anxiously attached and that's their primary style. Where for others, it depends on who they're with. That's the kick about all these uh, attachment styles. It really depends on who you're with. You can be more avoidant with one person because they're overwhelming. You can be anxious with another one because they're avoidant. Maybe with someone who's secure, so it allows you to be more secure and your level of functioning raises. It's, it's contextual, situational, and relational. It really depends on who we're with and what's going on in our lives. These things ebb and flow, and that's why we can work on these things. That's why this is an important segment because we all have some work to do around this because a lot of us are very anxious, very threatened, want too much too soon, move real quick. Um, all right, y'all. We'll talk more about it. More to come. You know, I'm always going to sprinkle this throughout the show. It's coming up next. We'll be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Love Line IG page. Questions, topics, things you want us to circle back to, drop deeper into. Stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medela. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. So it says, hey, Dr. Kristen Loveline, an old friend of mine who's married and has a family has started recently reaching out and contacting me. I recently got separated and I put that status on all of my social media and I'm assuming that that is how he found out. In the past, I've enjoyed him. We've had a lot of compatibility and we used to spend a lot of time together and talk, but I don't want to be a part of something that involves harming someone else or breaking up a marriage. I myself have been through the unfortunate situations where cheating occurred, so I have very good firsthand knowledge of what that feels like, and I don't want to do that to someone else. Oof. Is it okay <laughs> if I ask him what his intentions are and if his wife is aware that we are now talking? I don't want to cause any issues. I think it's mandatory you ask that, <laughs> actually, because some people think, if you're single and you're not married, well, then you're doing nothing wrong if you are the other woman and participate in someone else cheating. But I don't agree with that. We are accountable and responsible for whatever we participate in. You are an accomplice to any crime or harm if you are a part of creating or maintaining the system of harm itself. So yes, it does matter. Yes, it does speak poorly of you if you were to happily and openly participate in someone cheating on someone else. It doesn't, it, there's no ethics and there's no um, values in that. And our mental health is determined upon how we move through the world, whether or not we're living and guided by our values and ethics and whether or not we're okay with causing harm. And this person, if they were interested in you romantically, wanted to cheat with you behind his wife's back, you are helping participate in harm and you are possibly traumatizing this woman. And if you really care about this guy, I think you have to say to him, yeah, hey, it's interesting to hear from you. What are your intentions? I know that you're married and let him know that you're only interested in friendship because he's in a current relationship. And until he is single or in an ethically, completely known open relationship, you're not available. And you might need to honor and hold those boundaries. Maybe all he wants is friendship, case closed. But if he wants more, let him know you're not interested. And if he tries to push on your boundary, that's when you block him or cease communication. 
if they try to push on your boundaries, because that doesn't speak well of someone. But I applaud you for taking that stance that you don't want to be a part of harming someone else. And some people might say, but if she never know, if she never knows, how is she being harmed? Well, number one, you're participating in something dishonest. Number two, this person is harmed. Most likely though, if not known, indirectly because that partner is going to go home and relate to their partner differently. That partner might still get, might start getting needs met with the person they're cheating with to the deficit and detriment of their partner at home. Who's never respected enough to be given the opportunity to speak to what they're participating in, even indirectly, even without knowing. And when we protect a secret, we protect everything that bumps into that secret. You know, we protect the secret itself. We protect anything that leads closer to it and it rolls outward. But bigger than that, we can't move through the world as a good person if if we're aware that we're causing harm because our self-esteem doesn't let us off the hook. So when someone says, like, how do I work on self-worth? One of the first things I say is by living a life worthy of self-worth. Are you doing things that maybe don't allow you to feel good about who you are or how you're moving through the world? And if you're causing harm in any way or participating in it, well, there it is. Even in the system of law, which is often unjust, but it understands this idea of accomplice you are a participant in. And someone can't cheat unless there's another person to cheat with. And that really erodes at trust. And that can really traumatize. And if this person wants to be with other people, he needs to leave his marriage or let his wife know and they talk about an open style. But we can't steal that choice. And we're not letting our partner be aware of what they're participating in indirectly. And we're maybe setting them up for STDs and STIs and for us withholding other things. It's a mess. So don't ever be a part of that. It doesn't speak well of anyone. And I want us to start building a system where we do care about the way we impact others. And we do have concern for how we move through the world. I say that almost on every show. So I love your question. Set that boundary. Let them know what you're down for. And if he pushes on it, cease, cease to have that communication. And sure, maybe you could say, does your wife know we're talking? Because you, you could say, I don't want to be a secret because secrets lead to trouble. And if there's nothing bad going on here, well, then there's no reason why your wife couldn't know that we've reconnected, you know? So workshop that, see how it goes, more to come. Awesome question, a lot to learn in that. And it helps us challenge ourselves to be better. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow night, so join us then. Check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Love Line and click on it. Drop us some questions in the DMs. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night. Y'all have a good night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 